1: If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you.
0: Now, let's get Behind the Bits.
2: My guest tonight is an empowerment coach, a writing expert, in addition to being a great comedian. She has a master's degree in behavior change. I can't wait to talk about that, and is a contributing journalist for Syndrome Magazine. She loves to coach comedians and public speakers, show them how to put on a show, and teach them how to use their creativity for multiple income streams. She was a semi-finalist in the 2019 Ventura Harbor Comedy Festival and in the 2020 laughs unlimited copy competition it is Samantha Bearman let's bring her up right now Samantha Samantha hello <laughs> i double clicked that button instead of single clicked it so i took you in and out real quick how are you
0: <laughs> i'm good it's it's been a while since i've heard my bio much like many comedians i need to update
1: it
2: yeah well, it's uh it's it's one of those things, at least some of that stuff would probably stay on the bio. But uh I wanted to yeah. I, I wanted to before we get into comedy talk, I wanted to find out what a degree in behavior change what what does a master's degree in behavior change change teach you how to do?
0: Yeah, it's actually a master's in public health with an emphasis on behavior change. Okay. There's five There's five specialties of public health and behavior change is one. So the focus of behavior change is why people do what they do and how to continue behavior or reduce behavior or increase behavior.
2: Okay. So I would guess that that really translates to comedy because I'm a comedian, you're a comedian, and we know comedians, and some of their behaviors are sometimes what holds them back.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's an adaptation of the public health guys. You know, what are you doing too much of that you need to do less of or what could you be doing more? Mm -hmm. And it really, like, the behavior change emphasis in terms of public health is the why. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing these things? Mm -hmm. And you usually have to ask the why about five times before you finally get the real answer. And it's hard and people get really frustrated But when you get to that fifth level, then you really unlock what has either been holding you back or what has been pushing you forward, you know, really isolating and both can be incredibly powerful.
2: Okay. And I'm, just because i started with this i'm kind of doing my interview inside out instead of finding out why you got into comedy but while we're on the subject i'd rather i'd rather dig in so the behaviors the comedy coaching that you do the behaviors that make a good comedian are you know you write a lot you practice a lot you 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 do all these things but it, those, those things are a given, but we're all individuals and we all have to come about it a different way. So in your coaching, how do you take what you've learned and get them to that fifth level to understand what it's going to take to be a better comedian or a better writer or, you know, wherever a better public speaker, wherever they're trying to go?
0: Yeah, um, well, I tell them to stop trying to be like someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, we can be motivated by somebody and inspired, and certainly I haven't met any comedian who has the audacity to think that there's no other comedian or public speaker who inspires them. But to say that you'll be the next Dave Chappelle or the next Robin Williams, it just, I mean, lofty goals, but there will never be another one. Mm -hmm. So why chase after something that will never happen when you can be the first of who you are? So what I do with that in terms of behavior change is really isolating like your tone of voice, your point of view, what stories do you want to tell and how can we tell that? And also it's sometimes unrealistic for people to, for everyone to write three hours every day Mm -hmm. or even have a dedicated three hour time slot or an hour time slot. So I, the point of behavior change is making sustainable changes over time. So if, what someone can commit to is every day for 15 minutes, they will have undistracted writing. We work on that every day for 15 minutes where they're tracking what time of day did you do that? And did you accomplish it? And that's it. Mm -hmm. Not did you write the next hit? Did you, you know, improve your, your set? Were you able to sustain this? Because that's one of the biggest things oftentimes with behavior change. We, we take on, best version that we think we want to be of ourselves right away Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we go from right here to great i'm you know from the couch all the way to running a marathon Mm -hmm. and the reality is you can go from the couch and never having worked out to running a marathon a hundred percent but you can't walk out the door and do that
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: that's that's what i see happens a lot and then people get deflated and defeated and just don't want to pushing themselves mm-hmm. when really if they did take a smaller chunk but did it in a sustainable way you can build off of that
2: yeah every and i've observed comedians for a long time and a lot of them want well the majority of them want to make a jump into something new earlier than when they should they they haven't mastered mm-hmm they haven't mastered the five minutes before they take on a feature spot or even a host spot. And, and that is, I mean, when you, I mean a booker may believe you and say, okay, you look good. Your feature material. um, I heard that five minutes. So you've obviously got 15 more that's just as good. And then you get up there and you find out you don't and you bomb and you, you've taken, way more than two steps backwards and and I know a lot of comedians have uh, you know quit because of things like that because they tried to push themselves too quick or they got thrown into something that was not they weren't ready for and it just it's it's like what you said it's very frustrating to get to that point and your weaknesses are just all out on display for everybody and for a comedian, that's especially true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And uh, I mean, there, I, I agree with both of that. But I also think sometimes waiting until you're absolutely ready, that also can hold people back. Mm-hmm. Like, but, you know, some people don't know. So you do like your first hour, you think, okay, I've got an hour of great material. Let's say it's a strong hour. Mm-hmm. Great. That's actually not enough for an hour show. Especially your first one. Yeah. You need at least 90 minutes because you are going to talk too fast. Mm -hmm. You just are. So you're going to blaze through that. Also, it might not all hit. So you need something to cover your ass for that. Mm -hmm. The worst thing is if you take a gig for 60 minutes and you can only deliver 45. 15 minutes never feels so long until you realize it's all at the end. Yeah. Versus maybe you only had 45 minutes of really solid material. You're knowing your 60 got condensed, but you've practiced pacing. You've practiced how to stretch out. You've realized halfway through, okay, I need to make this next 30 minutes. Like I'm going too fast. I need to give myself more pauses. I need to take bigger drink, like things to not let the audience know that you're stretching time, but that, you know, okay, these are all the things I need to do to keep everyone entertained, to keep the pace going, but to stretch my time out.
2: Okay. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this interview back inside out again. Let's go back to the beginning uh, and we'll come back to the coaching because I think that's going to be a, a, a fascinating thing to learn. But you you know you're obviously a studious person because you got your master's degree in something that's not an easy subject. Public health is not there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that you have to learn in order to get that master's degree. And um, at what point did the comedy part come in? Was that before college or the graduate stuff, or was it after what, when did that happen for you?
0: Oh yeah. Well before college, I was um, doing comedy and very interested in comedy since honestly my whole life, but really in high school. Although The theater kids, that was the clickiest group in my high school. It wasn't the sports people or like the jocks or the cheerleaders. Nobody really liked them very much. Um, And not like they were, they were the easiest click to get into, to be honest, a jocker. Like you just had to be on a sports team and bada boom, you're there. Uh Go to their party, no problem. The theater kids, they were the meanest ones on campus because I think they took everything so seriously. They all wanted to be stars right away. I don't know. That's my, I'll stick with that. I think it's still true. Yeah. So I never got to break into them. I was always on the outskirts, but we had a um, a student-directed show and student-written-directed show once a year called Holiday Package. And so students could submit sh- skits, and my skit got chosen every year. Mm-hmm. And I know it always pissed off the theater kids because <laughs> for one show a year, I was the – director I was the writer and you know I got to cast so I still got to be enmeshed temporarily Uh um and then in college I joined the improv team uh, that we had there I was on that for the whole of college and in graduate school I joined a professional improv team and was getting paid and um and then when I moved back to Santa Barbara there wasn't a team that um there wasn't a team I thought that had people on there that pushed me to a higher level Uh Um, and, or or took it as seriously as I wanted to take it. Um, There was talent for sure, but it didn't feel like, you know, you're, you're in a room with people who everyone does want to push each other Mm -hmm. to, to get better. Mm -hmm. You know, every, it was a good team. Mm -hmm but nobody wanted to be better than that. You Mm. know, like I'm not dissing them at all. They were, they were good. Right. I wanted to be better.
2: Yeah.
0: And, uh, and also I had to drive like 45 minutes one way, 45 minutes back. I was exhausted working full time. So I just decided this is not serving me. I'm going to step into um, stand up because then it's just me. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of the rare comedians who has done both.
2: And, and enjoys both. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that every every stand-up I know that has done improv says a hundred percent that it improves their standup because you one
0: hundred percent. Yeah,
2: you learn you learn to be in the moment and and that is the hardest part of being a stand-up when you're trying to keep your act together, know which bit comes next and Watch your pacing, watch and your timing. You forget about the audience. That's that's what I'm guilty of. You forget there's an audience out there.
0: Totally. I mean, I see that benefit time and time again. I love riffing with the audience. And so many comics I work with and both perform with, they're terrified of that.
1: Mm.
0: Because it is so it is so much of an unknown. You could get, <laughs> you know, you could get an audience member who thinks they're actually really a part of the show and they're talking a lot and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sharon, like, I know you think we're friends. We're not. I'm actually at work right now. Like, ooh, Uh why don't you treat me like you do your stepkids? You know, like, don't really talk to me right now. Like, I'm not really. (laughs) See, that's how I shut people down. It's like a polite, like, ooh, nope. You you were too invested in this. (laughs) Um,
2: Talking about those skits that you wrote, where I'm taking a class right now. And and my second class, the question was, was, what was the first time you real when was the first time you realized you were funny and the comedy could possibly be something for you now in your case those skits that you wrote I'm just willing to bet that some of the subjects and some of the stuff from those skits ended up in some of your bits down the line do you have some favorites that really stuck with you and because when you write stuff it's it's very personal and even if it's just a you know five minute skit or something like that you still it's still something big I remember short stories I wrote when I was in junior high and uh, so do you have any favorites that kind of stuck with you and almost define who you are as a comedian
0: um not from high school I I will be honest I was absolutely pandering to what I knew would be selected okay but I knew it (laughs) I knew it was funny um and my writing and me as a person have just evolved especially changing from improv to to stand up Mm. um I do have some material and like my material is very personal and over the last year i've worked really hard to get even clearer on the stories i want to tell mm-hmm. and what do i want to talk about um so for me certain things that i've carried through that um i have a joke about my dad he loves it he never gets tired of it i've been telling it for years now any show he's at he always asks if i'm gonna do it <laughs> and i can't always because if I'm doing a, a local show, I'm like, there's enough people here who have seen me. I don't, I can't like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't do it again, but like, <laughs> you know, I, and if that's the case, but he's been asking for a while, I'll announce that, uh, you know, some of you have heard this. I don't care. My dad's here. I'm going to sell this for him. And yeah. he's actually the number one cannabis expert in the country
1: okay. and
0: number two in the world. And so I, I do talk a lot about like, what was that like growing up with, um, the doctor who was at the forefront of the legalization of medical marijuana in a very small affluent town where now all of the women, the like Montecito moms, the rich moms, who used to think like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe that Jared had a half joint." Like lock him up. Those are the same women who are like, "I can't believe you're not drinking water infused with CBD." Do you yeah. even care? Do you even care about your health? What kind of mother are you? Like, um. So I try and talk about that. I, uh, I mean, and also being. Raised in a multicultural home, a multi faith home. I'm Hispanic and Jewish, but I talk about that. I have a cousin who's a, who's a priest, and I'm like, I feel like I'm covered on all ends. Like uh-huh. if one doesn't work out, I'm good.
1: And
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the, the the real talking points. I mean, I try and keep it as authentic to what I've lived, what I see, and how I, experience the world.
2: Uh-huh. So when you started doing stand up, where did you find that you had a breakthrough, you knew what your persona was, you knew exactly what did you what you wanted to do moving forward? Was that uh was that still college or when did that happen?
0: I think the first breakthrough did happen at college. I was forced into my first stand up and I really appreciate it. Uh, I was actually running the show and there weren't enough women on the lineup as mm-hmm. what happens unfortunately and my boss was like you're funny and i'm tired of you not doing something about this mm-hmm. now i don't encourage or suggest someone because i did not realize that stand up like all the writing involved it because i thought oh you just go up and talk yeah now there is skill within that but that is not the same and certainly not what you should do if you've never written anything before But that, that was my first time going up on stage and it was actually auditioning for Jimmy Kimmel's funniest college student in America. Uh So there was a, a producer there from the Jimmy Kimmel show. And I'm just like, Oh my God. So I went up and the first time I made the audience laugh, which it's amazing. I didn't bomb to be perfectly honest, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. And I made them laugh the whole time. It was a rush that I'd never felt ever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I didn't win, but that's okay. The guy who won was much more prepared. I mean, I, it would have been wild if I had, like, is no one at like, okay. Like I'm funny, but okay. Uh, The producer came up to me after the show, uh, not the winner, probably talked to him later. And he said, you are very good at this and you shouldn't stop because you're talented and Mm. you've got talent. And I, I mean, he didn't have to, who was I to him? Nobody. Mm -hmm. And that's really stuck with me. Um, both the feeling of making a room of strangers laugh because of what I said and how I said it and having this collective feeling mm-hmm. and then also having like, you know, big lights and flashy Hollywood yeah. producer. i like, yeah, you got it, kid.
2: <laughs> it's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump back into the coaching because I, I, I know that this is something that's really important to you to, help folks as they are going on their journey first of all what what types of students or or I wouldn't say students what what types of uh, folks have you mentored and uh, like age ranges and backgrounds and stuff like that
0: so the youngest I've coached was actually nine years old and she was hysterical (laughs) she was so funny um, she talked a lot about obviously her family, but it, I, I asked her only three times cause she had jokes about her parents that I thought were great. They were, we worked on how they were crafted. I just said, you know, have you asked your parents if, if they're okay with you saying these things? Um, nothing was mean, but you know, parents make mistakes and that's all it was. It was certain yeah. things that they did that were hysterical and especially to hear it from a nine year old. Yeah. It was great. Um, and she's like, oh, no, they're fine with it. I'm like, okay, great. This is great. Um, but working with her was really fun because I saw the fearlessness in a nine-year-old not uh-huh. knowing where the line is. And also the creativity, you know, she's not falling back on talking about, like, sexually explicit topics. She's not falling back on cursing. She's not falling back on little things that, I mean, People pepper in that are always almost always going to make the crowd laugh mm-hmm. um so i really liked working with her and then the oldest i've worked with is probably like 62
1: okay
0: um and then kind of almost any age in between
1: mm-hmm.
0: um teenagers teenagers with me are hit or miss it depends like because i'm a hard ass and i want them to get something out of it mm-hmm. uh but you know we work with what we have um and I've also worked with with clients who had no interest in getting up on stage, but were going through this comedy coaching more for um a healing and a therapeutic element because there is a lot of writing and reframing. Mm. And I go over that, like the stories you tell on stage, they can be true-ish. You know, you are the narrator, you're the entertainer. You can change certain details, like especially if you're very new on the scene. You know, mm. who's coming up to you? And also it's your story. It's your story. Mm -hmm. So if you say it happened this way, then that's how it happened. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to so beholden to the truest version of the story. Right. And for example, I had a woman who was going through a breakup and she did end up writing a whole five minute bit. I wish she would have performed it. It was, it was great. And uh, she did it for me because we went through the whole process and She messaged me a couple months later and said it was actually really fun and really cathartic for her. She had a great time. She changed details and um, she said it was probably the quickest she'd ever gotten over a significant relationship. So that was also fun for me. I had never had someone join for a semi-therapeutic element and Uh I do have counseling experience, but you know, we didn't do counseling together. We, we did this comedy coaching. Uh Um, And then I've also worked with, clients who are in comedy and are needing accountability, you know, someone mm-hmm. to check in. and, like, you know, have you done your, your writing assignment this week? And here's some writing prompts and here's a different angle and let's work out the kinks of this. And I also work with students on negotiating pay on doing press releases on marketing themselves. Um, and one of my clients has done, we worked together for about three rounds and they're doing amazing now they're a regular at three different clubs they've started headlining they're um getting paid and I love seeing that Mm -hmm. because you know it's still the wild west out there there's so much gatekeeping involved Mm -hmm. for for almost anything Mm
2: -hmm. oh yeah and one of the things that you are teaching now in addition to the comedy coaching is how to put on a show and the, the the best thing for a comic to do if they can't get booked is just make their own show it's what I did it's great and and but you doing it right I I didn't understand what right was until my last show that was right before COVID and I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna do it this way and that was after I think it was my seventh show that I had done that year and I it was much better that last time, but if only I had known. So let's talk about putting on a show. What are the things that you like to, you know, the boxes you like to check off when you're putting on a show, and what do you teach people about the show running?
0: Um, one, is I teach them how not to make an ugly flyer, I can't stand the garbage. <laughs> I don't know why comedians are impressed by the ugliest flyers. There's just. <laughs> text everywhere there's all these unnecessary graphics it's yeah. awful colors you can't i i mean someone should be able to clearly look at a flyer and know where when and how much at yeah. the at the absolute basic that's what they need to know yeah and if i'm searching i'm just and also where how to get the tickets like yeah. those those four elements so i go over that say you know You can do it yourself or spend five to fifteen dollars on fiber and get someone who knows what they're doing because there's just garbage flyers out there. So, one, make sure that the flyer is visible with the content, two, discuss with the venue what their contribution is because they'll be making money from you somehow. So, how are they contributing? What do they have to lose? Mm -hmm. How are they invested? Are they giving you an artist budget? are they giving you a cut of the drinks of the food are they giving you an ad budget are they giving you a marketing budget are they giving you a marketing person so i give you those tools to discuss and talk with and those are some of my beginner steps that i need for any show or any new venue i work with and mm. our expectations laid out for everybody you know it's in terms of social media marketing in terms of the lineup in terms of compensation and then I also go over how do you plan on compensating your lineup and how do you plan on communicating that? Because mm-hmm. if you're charging tickets, there is money being handled. Mm-hmm. So how so where does that money go? And I think that last question is one a lot of newer comics get very nervous to ask.
2: Yeah. And
0: like, where does that money go?
2: Yeah. And it's funny, people get it they they just get screwed so much. And I know when I put on my shows that uh, the end result was I didn't need any money. So I wanted to make sure that everybody got paid. And when I brought people on, my first show was a headliner and uh, two guest spots with me hosting. And I told everybody you're getting paid. The John's going to get 50% of the door, you you two are going to split the other 50%. And I, I'm taking nothing. So that's what I told them. And then at the end of the night, when I went to pay him, they're like, Oh, we really get paid. <laughs> they were surprised that they were actually getting paid and, and somebody actually giving them what they said they were going to give them or alluded to some some i know there's a lot of alluding in the comedy business and it never comes through quite the way you expect
0: well i when i work with my clients i say ask straight out money is neither good nor bad it makes you more of what you already are mm-hmm. and if you do not want to do a job that's not paid you need to know that before you commit and before you get in your car and drive
1: mm-hmm. say like, yeah.
0: is this Because I think a lot of comics, especially newer ones, stop the question at, is this show paid? Mm -hmm. And they hear yes, and they go, okay, great. The next question is, what is the compensation?
1: Yeah.
0: Because there are shows that will pay you five bucks and a a drink. Yeah. And now, if you are brand new and you live two miles away, you're like, that's fine. Like, I'm out. I'm meeting. If you are 30 minutes away, what if you're an hour away? What if you're sober? Mm Mm-hmm you know, then that drink that would have cost someone 7 to $11, like, you're like, well, I'm getting a Coke, which is a 300% markup.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It it costs like a nickel. People get
0: worried that if they ask how much that they're going to be kicked off the lineup and it's like better that, you know, who is this producer? Who is this booker? Who is this club? Mm -hmm. And also knowing like when it's appropriate to ask and when it's better to to hedge your bets, wait it out. You know, if you're, if you're on a lineup with a national known headliner at a pretty solid club, you might not get paid, but you're going to make those connections. Mm -hmm. But if it's something smaller then absolutely Mm -hmm. always ask, there's, there's nothing bad can come from asking.
2: Right. Right. It's,
0: it's information. That's all it is. I've never heard of someone being like, I got, I would never kick somebody off my lineup because they
2: asked mm-hmm. yeah, it's I think it's an easy question, and once they say it's a paid show, the question's very simple. what's the pay structure you know what where does it come exactly. from is it is it part of the bar? is it part of the door is is it part of both what or is it just a flat fee and that that's easy, mm-hmm. yeah. So going back to the comedy coach, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna just keep jumping around like a nut here. But going back to the comedy coach, and we talked about having some accountability for writing and uh, understanding. Yeah, my computer's going nuts on me. um, Understanding what the um, what the requirements are for having a certain length of set so 10 minutes if you want a 10 minute set you better have 20 minutes ready and on and on like that so those things are in there what what else do you provide the folks that you're mentoring
0: um i provide them with a variety of different writing tools um to kind of shake up their often dulled writing time which isn't just writing about what's happened to you today you know we go through like how do you make a bit out of headlines today how do you flip it on its head how do you do a veer left the rule of threes um they also um in terms of like the production materials i also give them day of production materials like a very clean um set list that they can give to our lineup list that they can give to their host which might not always be them but they could give to the the club owner, the people can have to keep things just running as smooth as possible. Uh, we go over different ticketing websites, ones that give the highest return on investment. Um, we also work with setting up their website or improving their website
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, because comics <laughs> do like their websites like they do their flyers for their shows. It's <laughs> just, it's just like clip art yeah I just they ugly flyers bother me so much yeah.
2: um and it seems to be so, a it just seems to be something that's part of comedy it seems like if you're a comedian yeah you just make a really shitty flyer because you don't know how to do anything else but be a comedian
0: <laughs> and you don't try yeah so we go over that and just presentation and we go over branding mm. um we also practice 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 I practice being the worst audience member, kind of all the fears you have, Um, someone talking during your set, someone texting during your set, someone, I've had someone clean out their wallet during the show. And I was like, who are you? (laughs) Like, what is happening right now? Are you kidding me? You paid to be here, you know? And, um, so we act out all of those things because a lot of times our biggest fear is the unknown. And we go over and I tell them, I'm not going to stop the first time you try and make me stop Mm -hmm. because people don't stop. Uh, (laughs) You need to, you know, and we, I talk about also how the real talent is getting whoever it is that's bothering you to the level that it's, you know, interrupting your set, getting them to stop without having the audience turn on you. Because mm -hmm. I said the audience didn't come to be made fun of. like to be the but the entire butt of their joke and there are more of them that there are of you mm-hmm. and they will support the audience 8 out of 10 before they all join in so I'm like you need to single out that person while keeping the audience on your side
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we go over if you lose the audience you have 30 seconds to bring them back otherwise you need to wrap your set and and take what you you've learned because they will support the group before the individual mm-hmm fear of them getting singled out so we go through i think really detailed and as best as real world without actually performing as we can
2: Mm -hmm. sounds like i really like the the mix of the business with the writing with the performing and all that. And the, the, the fact that you play a heckler during, I, I've never taken a class where somebody play, plays a heckler. So I think that's a really good take because, and that's it's what so everybody's afraid of. You know, that's, yeah. that's what I was afraid of. And it's. Uh, and
0: I play a variety of the heckler. So not just the, you know, boo, but like,
2: yeah.
0: heckling is so different
2: now. <laughs> yeah. The one I, the one I despise the most is the helper the one that has a personal interjection that they can put into your joke and help you make it even better that's I think that's the goal and uh, yeah that, that's the one are you
0: talking about the people after the show or during the show
2: during the show where you you say something and somebody loudly will say oh yeah that happened to me and 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 go on about it and want to be part of the show so yeah that's the worst I, I'd rather have yeah. somebody boo me.
0: I don't think I've ever had that necessarily happen. I did have someone who did try and have, like, I guess they interjected with, like, trying to have a conversation, and I finally said, I said, Mom, like, (sighs) if you don't answer my phone calls, we're not going to have a conversation while I'm on stage. (laughs) And it wasn't my mother. My mother was laughing hysterically. She was actually at the show. (sighs) So I'll say something, you know, like, really call out, like, this is not the time. Uh you know or there's other things and I I give these tools to my clients like these are things you can use or amend how you want you know if someone is is doing that I'm like oh hey did you know that like your date could have brought you anywhere if they wanted to have a conversation with you they specifically chose bringing you to the one place where your job is to sit down and shut up so like why don't we (laughs) just think about that they didn't want to hear your voice I don't want to hear your voice yeah
2: That's great. One of the things that I, I got from your website that you talk about is multiple income streams when you're a creative and I, I not, yes. you don't you can be a comedian and be a good writer, or you can be a writer who's not such a great comedian, or you can be a comedian who performs really well, but doesn't really have that great of writing. It's their, you know, it's what they do on stage that makes them funny. So you get all those mix of things, but the the real writing types, uh, can you talk about some of the things that are available to a uh, person who's a, not only a comedian, but can, you know, they can, they can write a blog.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the, not inherently simple, but Fiverr and Upwork are really good starting points for copywriting. Mm. There's all kinds of copywriting availability that people need who either aren't good at writing or don't want to do it anymore. Mm. They're, you know, outsourcing that because of a variety of things. I don't need to know the reason if you pay me, that's what I need to know to yeah. check clear. Great. I'm going to do the job. No worries. Um, and so some of that copywriting can be for products that are on people's websites. Um, it also, you can also route ra- relay that writing, of course, into writing for other journals, being a ghostwriter. Um, And also being a content creator and not inherently in what we all see as the influencer, because that is, uh, using your platform. Mm -hmm. You can create content for a brand that they use Mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with your platform. It's your skill, Mm -hmm. your ability. It looks like authentic creation as if it was from their team. Mm -hmm. So those are some ways, um, that a solid writer can parlay that what they're already doing into other marketable skills.
2: Mm-hmm. I, f- I, I had a friend I up in uh, Indiana that he ended up after uh, playing around with it for a few years, it content creation became his full-time job. And he'd write, he'd write about anything from shoes to lizards to musical instruments. I mean, just, Anything, and it's it's basically you know getting five hundred thousand, two thousand words together and uh, putting it in the something that will be interesting enough to read. And comics are pretty good at doing that part. Exactly. So if you are if you say you're a, a comedian that's a decent writer and you don't have any credits and you want to you want to have good examples and things like that you mentioned fiverr are there any other ways that you can get your work out there uh, and you know have it have it be a something that you can put on like a press kit or something like that when you're trying to get a writing gig
0: yeah i mean honestly it it, it does come down to building connections and being open to putting yourself out there one of my first writing positions i got from asking I'd met this comedian who's also a producer once, but we'd stayed in touch via social media um, on and off. You know, we didn't talk every day. We didn't even talk every week, but mm-hmm. we were kind of tapped in and uh, they were launching a, a website um, that was meant to, to bring in money. And I said, you know, are you looking for writers? Here are some topics of things I would like to write about. And, and I said, I will submit three articles to you up front for free
1: mm-hmm.
0: that you can use and also give me feedback on, is this what you want? Mm-hmm. So one of the things would be to take that risk. It, there is a um, Harvard business school actually has an assignment for all of their MBAs that their job in um, one week is to make 20 asks so that they can get 20 no's for just to ask for whatever it is that they want. Mm-hmm. And the assignment is completed, they will get an A if they hear 20 nos. Nobody has ever gotten 20 nos. Ever. Uh, yeah. And that's we're also afraid of hearing no. I hear no all the time. Mm-hmm. I hear no all the time. That's okay. No's a full sentence. Mm, yeah. Now how I respond to that no does does impact me. you know do I say do I, do I hear a no forever or do I say, okay well, you know what? maybe in a year I'll circle back. Mm -hmm. There was a a venue I had that was amazing, and I'm about to get back into it. It took a year of talking with the owner, and it was never a harsh no. It was, you know, we'll we'll come back to you. We'll come back. It wasn't a yes, which from my sales mind, that is a no, because it wasn't a yes. I needed a hard yes. It took a year. But once I got that yes and that opportunity, I blew it out of the park, and it was a sold-out show, Uh bringing in quite a bit of money for the venue. Uh So... For those worried or trying to figure out what to do, there is no roadmap. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing that someone can say is no.
1: Mm.
0: And that's really not that bad. Yeah. So if you're afraid of hearing no, ask for 20 different outrageous things.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> it's funny. I've been in sales for most of my life, so I understand exactly what you're saying. And being in sales really is kind of a... Boon, it, it's kind of a help being, uh, as far as being in the comedy world, because you, you know that a no isn't necessarily a final no. Sometimes you, you either have yeah. to convince better, or you have to paint a picture, show proof, all that, all that type of stuff. But you the, it's no. Okay. And why are you saying no? Because I want to make sure that I'm better the next time I ask someone and just keep mm-hmm. getting that feedback. And th- then you they tell you how to sell to them. Basically, if you ask enough questions after that, no. So that's that's one of my favorite things to do.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Now, One of the things that I've seen that you're working on is Comedians in Your Kitchen. And can you tell me a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Comedians in Your Kitchen, it is an entertainment show where myself and a trained chef lead audiences through a dish and an elixir of their choosing. We have a menu of about 25 to 30 items We've been picked up by many universities across the country. Um, We've done shows at Stanford, at San Diego State University, um, at Endicott Community College. So all across the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, even for some corporations for their kind of staff bonding or new type of happy hours. And it's a lot of fun because it's I bill it as the new way it's the comedy cooking show you've always wanted. We're the only one in the country that actually has a, a comedy show aspect along with a live chef show. Uh-huh. So we do everything in real time because a lot of cooking shows, they'll say, for example, you know, chop up the chives and then they'll reach for a bowl and the, they're already cut up. Uh-huh. Our big idea is that we want to show people you really can in 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the dish, have a start to finish meal. What uh-huh. We're prepping with you. Um, and also, I say it's a lot of fun because if you're afraid that you're not going to do something right or that someone's going to laugh at you, I say just laugh at me. I am not a trained chef. I don't know what I'm doing yeah. any better than most of you on the, on the show. And if I can get the dish done, so can you. Uh-huh. Um, and we play games during it like Desert Island Spice Edition, um, My Favorite Knife, which is <laughs> you know, the classics.
2: Yeah. Now, your chef. Do you have the same chef at every show, or do you hire a different chef no, for each show?
0: I have different chefs. Um, okay. Just I have a few on on retainer, and we rotate through based on their availability um, because we do get booked out sometimes up to twenty shows a month. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they just get tired and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we'll take a night off. Um, I have, yeah, I have two different chefs. One is her name is Lauren Bragg can find her online at the wellness vixen she's the co-owner of feng shui collective and then my other chef is mckinnon Beaton. he um you can find him online at max meals and mac beats and they're both in their own right very funny mac is also a comedian uh, but on the show he maintains kind of just pure chef status Uh and then uh, lauren is a feng shui expert and a chef so it's really fun to bring them both on and, and have them contribute to the show. And our big catchphrase is that you'll leave with a belly full of food and a heart full of laughter.
2: Yeah, that's that's great. It's I would never, you know, I watched the Galloping Gourmet when I was a kid and he, he was a nut, and, but and he was funny and a chef. But um, I would have never thought to put those two together. But the way you explain it, it sounds like a really cool thing.
0: It is very cool.
2: I mean, I've done, I've done the... Uh, we're
0: available for booking, Scott. So excellent. if you have a, a corporate event or private event, we're happy to show up.
2: Cool. And I'm going to put We do both
0: we- virtual and in person.
2: Yeah. I'm going to put your website up so that I can find all that too. Um, one of the things I like to ask all the comedians I talk to, and you're like number, I think you're 80... No, you're in the 90s because I'm, I'm ahead of the game. So you're in the 90s. Um, but uh, one of the things I like to ask is... Um, what is the best and worst advice you got coming up being a comedian?
0: The best advice I got um, was actually when I was pushed to do that first show in college um, by the guy who actually won. I was very afraid. Um, and uh, he was he was going around kind of being a douchebag, if I'm being honest, but kind of like <laughs> psyching everybody out. And uh, I knew I didn't need to be psyched out. I was already afraid. Mm-hmm. And he comes up to me. And I'd already kind of cold-shouldered him. And I said, I was, like, on the brink of tears. That's how afraid and nervous I was. And I just kept thinking, if this guy says anything to me, like, I don't think I'm going to get on stage. I'm so afraid. And I think he saw that, I think, based on what he said next, you know, he said, are you about to go on? And I said, yeah, what do you want? Like, I was so mad (laughs) And he said, are you nervous? And I said, yeah, obviously, I remember that. Like, I'm just <laughs> angry so that I'm not crying.
1: Uh-huh. And he
0: said, I want you to know that you're funny. And I said, how do you know? Like, I haven't said anything. You know, mm. I have, I'm not on stage. You don't know. How do you know? And he goes, because you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe you were funny. Mm. He said, nobody does this if they don't believe that they are. And he goes, I'm going to tell you something else. The audience knows their job. Their job is to laugh. And they want to laugh they want you to succeed so he said get on that stage and just be funny Mm. and it's like sometimes I mean I'm sure if someone's like really struggling in this field they might be like that wasn't good advice to me that was incredible advice and I've shared it for years with people yeah
2: that's one thing I have to remind myself yeah and I have to remind myself before every show that the audience is not against me; they're with me, and you you have to bring them along because it's co- comedy can feel very adversarial if you if you've had any bad experiences at all. So you expect the bad experience to happen, and you you have to have that mantra of "Hey, um, they they're they're here to laugh." the that's what they want to do so you just have to facilitate that and just keep keep saying that because um yeah sometimes i mean bad experiences just make it so it feels like it's uh you're going to war with them instead of trying to entertain them
0: it can i mean i'm a big proponent of manifestation and so i think if you go on stage with the adversarial then that's what you're going to project Mm. um you know, I try and take it as this could be the next best show because also when you have a fire show, when everything you say is perfect, oh, mm-hmm. that feeling is great, yeah. But let's see, the worst advice I ever got um, the worst advice I probably ever got was like, don't ask how much this is paid. I think that's such yeah. terrible <laughs> advice, um, or like, be grateful for what you get. Uh-huh. I don't think that's
2: that's good. Nope. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing I like to ask is, what do you know now as a comedian that you wish you would have known when you first started? Uh,
0: well, like I said, comedians write their sets. And when they you, you watch someone on stage and it seems so natural, that takes. Hours and days and probably weeks of work. I mean, my best shows were ones I put a lot of effort into. Mm. And so that's the thing. Skill and talent can only take you so far. It is the practice mm. that that pushes you over the, the top. Um, and my favorite compliments are when someone says it felt like you were just talking to me Yeah. because that's how I felt watching comics growing up. That's why I thought naively when I was pushed to do the, the Jimmy Kimmel audition Mm -hmm. that it's just someone on stage talking like, and being funny and that I'll figure out how hard can that be? Talkiness and confidence. There's a fine line, but I think in college that's all muddled together. So, um, but yeah, talent and skill will get you far. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it is the practice and the effort that will take you farther than everyone you're around.
2: Right, right. That's uh, that's so true. As far as, so on the comedy co- coaching front, and, and anybody that wants to get uh, in touch with you to uh, do the coaching, talk about shows, uh, you know, find out when the next uh, comedian's uh What is it? Comedians cooking? Comedians Comedians in your your kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. Um, So, how do people get a hold of you? I've got your website up, but is there any other way that folks can get a hold of you as far as if they want to talk to you?
0: Yes. Uh, So, I'll just say my website, SamanthaBearman.com, bear like the animal, man like the overpaid gender. (laughs) And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube under my handle, SamBearComedy.
2: All right. All right. I uh, really enjoyed having you on the show, and I, I like what you're doing, the, the, the mentorship and teaching, teaching those uh, new comedians and uh, folks that want to get into this what the pitfalls are and all that before they get out there is really good. And a lot of people wish, including me, wish I would have known that before I got into it.
0: Absolutely. I'm here I'm exactly. I'm here for people beginning. I'm here for people kind of in the middle and even here for for tenured people who've been in it a while and are just feeling like they've hit a rut or or need that accountability. Because this is and I'm sure you know Scott unless you have someone supporting you or some writing group or something it's a very isolating is, isolating um passion. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It was
0: great to be on here. I appreciate the opportunity. It was fun talking with you. Yeah,
2: I really enjoyed meeting you, and I wish you the best and luck in all that you're doing. And I might uh, sign up for one of those comedy coaching things one of these days.
0: I'm excited. I'll see you soon, then. All
2: right. Thanks a lot.